Odyssey Richmond is the number one shop for all college basketball fans. We've got you covered. WRVA for UVA Hoops, 96-1 for Virginia Tech, WRNL for your VCU Rams. Midday host on WRNL 910 The Fan, Adam Epstein and his VCU alum friends will discuss the VCU basketball program weekly with insight, analysis, and interviews. This weekly podcast will be the answer for all Virginia Commonwealth Hoops fans. Call it! Call it! Call it! Call it! Call it! And this is the Black and Gold Fan Podcast. Welcome back, Ram Nation, to another episode of the Black Gold Fan Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 10. I'm Adam Epstein, alongside Caleb Jones, Connor Bailey, and Chris Mason. And we're proud to be presented by River City Roll. That's right, Awad. Don't call River City Roll a bowling alley. River City Roll is Richmond's entertainment capital with live music, a chef-inspired menu, heated outdoor patio, and boutique bowling. River Sea Row also features the best live entertainment every Friday and Saturday with no cover. There's something for everyone at River City Row off Arthur Ashe Boulevard near Scott's. And I had an AWOD question for you. Yeah. Um, don't you have your show there every Friday? I do, yeah. So what's your high score bowling was? While doing my show, so my show is three hours during commercial breaks, I bowl. A frame or two. I've gotten 163 as my Ooh. high score um, during my game. That was a couple weeks ago. Then I uh, cut my finger, so I haven't Damn. broken 100 <laughs> since then. What's uh, your preferred ball weight? Uh, 12. I'm, 12 pounds. I'm, 12 pounds a good pound. Yeah. Good, good pound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can really chuck that thing down the lane. Yeah. Get a little, I, I like a little lighter. I've tr- I've, th- I've rolled a 14 before, but I like a little r- lighter so I can chuck it and I like spin 12. it. Take it easy on your wrist. Yeah, yeah. 12 is good. Yeah, yeah, I was told that I was chicken winging too much when I roll, so I've been trying to keep my elbow tight now. Um, yeah. But I have a ton of fun doing the show there every Friday. We're proud to be presented by River City Roll. And even though this is, this is a basketball podcast, we should let all the audience members know that anytime there's a football game on at River City Roll, you can get a $10 pitcher of River City Roll beer. Best deal in town for a pitcher. Anytime there is a football game on, and we're going to kick off the show today with that road win in North Philly against LaSalle. Yeah, 2-0 on the road to uh, to start the conference year. Um, you know, having not played a road game out of conference, we had some question marks there, uh, but we really grinded out the past two and figured out ways to win, which is very encouraging. Uh, so, you know, it was a good win up at uh, in North Philly at Tom Gola Arena. It's always an adventure there. You know, you have, you're playing an arena where there's a pool underneath the floor. Yep. Uh, there's the big LaSalle kind of uh, L, kind of highlighted or uh, kind of neon, uh, uh, almost light show, essentially, with the smoke fog and everything. So LaSalle is always an adventure. One of those kind of games, even when we were down, it's like, I never felt like we were going to lose. I mean, it was ugly at times. A um, couple things I was disappointed in, I'll be honest with you. Uh, VCU had 15 turnovers in that game against team ranked 225 nationally in defensive turnover rate yeah um so definitely in the back half i mean not, not awful awful not like in the 300s but definitely the bat b- below middle of the pack that was kind of disappointing it's also disappointed that LaSalle had 14 offensive rebounds against vcu and they're ranked 263 nationally in offensive rebound rebound percentage so those are two the two main items i was a little disappointed in in our game i know fran dunphy made a huge emphasis to his team to rebound uh as hard as they could and and to keep us off the offensive glass uh, and win the turnover battle. So 
Uh, it makes a little sense, but it was good to see us play in the second half and start to win that possession battle. Yeah, we were losing the rebounding battle at halftime. The reason we ended up winning this game is because we turned the rebounding category around, winning it uh, 38 to 36. Although they did win offensive rebounds 14 to eight, uh, but paint points for VCU—that's one of the things that jumps out with, uh, to me in the box. We're 30 to 18, attacking the basket, and this is a game where we shot well from the outside, but still made a point of emphasis to go to the rack. Yeah, I thought Furman and Toby both had really good games, particularly Furman in the first half. He he kind of carried us there uh, with some of those little short corner jumpers and stuff like that. And then Toby attacking the rim on the pick and roll in the second half was great. Uh, obviously, Sean Bearso did a great job finding him uh, for some clutch baskets. So you mentioned uh, in the interior points in the paint, uh, Sean Bearstow had, I mean, it's been told last, last week at 14 points, 12 assists, great game. I feel like four or five of those assists were interior was interior passing, yeah. passing with either to Toby or to Furman. So, yeah, in uh, Ryan Odom's press conference yesterday, he said that Sean Barrister was doing a really good job, uh, basically coming to a stop in the paint, collecting himself and making an, a, a good decision from there, whether it be dump it down to a big guy, kick it out to the wing for the shot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 12 assists says it all. He, he was finding all the all the right guys. VCU doesn't really have a traditional big that you give it to down low, let them go to work, come up with a hook shot. So, Barstow getting paint touches is our version of that with this year's roster, and it helps a lot. I mean, some of the interior passing reminded me of Brandon Johns to Jalen Deloach last year, Connor. Uh, it was, I mean, it was, some of the passes were beautiful, and we've been kind of waiting for that. You know, he, I think he's played in six non two non-con games and four conference games, so six games total. And, you know, you saw some glimpses here and there, and he played real well against Maryland and Shore, but not a great team and stuff. But uh, you saw glimpses in a few games, but, I mean, seeing him back down, LaSalle defenders, and, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you LaSalle is a great basketball team. No one is. They're probably a team that's going to end up in the pillow fight at the A-10, but it's a conference opponent on the road. They have decent. They have a solid roster, and uh, I was really intrigued to see what Barristow did Saturday in North Philly. Yeah, I was encouraged by us taking advantage of our size advantage in the paint. Um, you know, Ryan Zan and uh, Jokas, I mean, Ryan Zan's 6'7", 200 pounds. Jokas is pretty big, but outside of those two, they don't really have a ton of size. And uh, for Furman to step up, have a good game, Toby to step up, have a good game, was yeah, good. Yeah, it was kind of frustrating, like some fast break plays, like the one Fats like threw to hey. someone's face right away. And Not then, good. And then there's Toby. like the Toby missed dunk. But overall, it's kind of like never worried, like Connor said, and eventually – I forgot they were losing at halftime yeah. by three, mm-hmm. but – they, yeah, they pulled away. How much credit do you give the last two wins for Michael Bell's extended minutes? 20, I think, against Mason, 18 against LaSalle. A lot, a lot. Michael Bell has made a huge difference. And um, I think that, uh, you know, Ryan Odom has admitted that he was really focusing on getting all these guys on the same page offensively, that the defense had kind of taken a back seat uh, to begin conference play. And we obviously saw that against St. Bonaventure and G-Dub. Uh, and, you know, inserting Michael Bell back into the lineup has been uh, a quick shot in the arm, uh, to, you know, to bring back that defense. Um, so, I mean, that's really good to see, and it's all about balance, and uh, I think that Michael Bell helps us find that. The month of January is a time, uh, when you look at Ken Palm's statistics, it, a lot of fluctuation. By February, it starts to settle in. Um, the, the occasional off game where you just either don't shoot or play horrible defense it could change. But what was discussed on our last part of the Mason game in our first two A-10 games, we were dead last in the A-10 in Ken Palm in conference defense. I mean, dead last, 15th. Mason, the defensive effort, got us to about 10th or 11th. Now we're 7th. And, I, and two stats I want to focus on. VCU ranks 56 in the nation in three-point defense. 
that's kind of middle of the pack of the A10. LaSalle shot six of 23 from three. And look, they had they made a couple threes late and stuff. I feel like they were kind of just jacking up threes. And I'm not going to say it always was def- because of Bell's defense because he wasn't in the game the whole time. But there's a correlation there. Yeah, there was a long stretch in the second half where they went 0 for 10 from three. And, uh, you know, you can say that George Mason was a fluke that they went 0 for 15. But I don't think it was a fluke that LaSalle went 0 for 10 on that stretch. I mean, we we're, were using our length on the perimeter. Um, you know, our bigs are pretty mobile. I thought we did a really good job just covering up the three-point line. And I do think that this is a sustainable trait of this team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm encouraged by the defense. So. Yeah, I mean, it's all about hand up in their face, you know, yeah. uh, run out there, uh, make sure that you can test the jump shot. It felt like in the St. Bonaventure game and GW game, there were miscommunications and we were giving up open three-point shots. I feel like that number has gone down. It's been a lot more contested three-point shots. Now, Zeb Jackson did get injured during that game, only played nine, min- nine minutes, didn't play the entire second half. We know he's day-to-day with a back injury. Yeah, that's all I was going to add. It sounds like it was back spasms, so it's nothing. Uh, actually, he's dealt with this injury quite a few times in the past. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, he will be a game-time decision come Friday. But, I, uh, you know, it's just encouraging to hear that it's not something too, too serious, you know. Bummer for sure. Um, and, heck, Jason Ellison rolled his ankle. Unfortunately, he was okay, and he played some solid point guard. But, I mean, the amount of times Bearstone Quanning were dribbling the ball at the court was kind of was kind of interesting in the second half. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we can have Zed back this Friday. My guess is knowing how these injuries are, we won't know anything until Friday. One other stat I want to tell you about the LaSalle game. So, LaSalle's dead last in the 8-10 and 3-point field goal percentage. It means you got to shoot well against them. We shot 6 of 13, which is 46%. 13 attempts, you might think, oh, crap, that's not a whole lot of attempts. LaSalle's so small, kind of what Caleb was saying earlier. We knew we had the size advantage. That's kind of why we, we were kind of pounding the paint so much. So I, I, I don't find that to be a, a, a poor statistic that we only shot 13 threes. Heck, we made six of them. Quanti was hot. But that was a game you play a team, team that's not very good shooting the three ball or defending the three ball. And we were efficient. We shot 46%. So, yeah, no, I think, another good stat. I think that's game. a big positive. I mean, you're taking the, the easy basket uh, in theory. You know, they're not all easy. But, I mean, Bearstow was played a big role in that. Yeah, and I think you'd argue we're not even close to peaking yet. You know, a few guys did not have their best game, including Joe Bamisil, didn't make a shot. He's now one of his last 10 jumpers in the last two games. He's going to turn that around. I did want to point out, this is the first time I've seen all season long we did not win the win the bench points battle. LaSalle twenty to sixteen. Um, <clears throat> part of that's probably Joe had a bad game. Still got a decent game from Toby. Michael Bell good defensively. Didn't much, score much offensively. But I, I do think that we are one of those deep teams that normally end up winning uh, the bench point battle. Typically, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Um, I, and like you said, I think Joe Bamisil. It probably starts and ends right there. Yeah. You know he's liable to go off for fifteen twenty any night. He has not played well offensively lately, but I think that it's coming. I'll discuss more about Bam later in our pod in a different segment. But I, I don't look – I mean, I understand the comment. I don't look too much into it. The fact is four of our five starters, Kwani, Furman, Barristow, and Shulga had at least 12 points each. Yeah. Balance, I mean, balanced scoring. You know, two guys had 14, 113, 112. So I, I just look at that as balanced scoring in that game. I right. think it's a, it should be a goal to have four guys in double figures. Damn straight. Um, and that's what we average. But, um, you know, it's not like last year's team. Right. Um, in in that regard so I, I think that's a very attainable thing and yeah it's good to see yeah I mean and Jason Nelson didn't score and he's been scoring uh, and hitting threes all season long this is the black and gold fan podcast an affiliate of the new sports radio 910 the fan now at 105.1 FM we're on Twitter and Instagram black gold fan pod you can get in touch with us there and also you can send us a voicemail 
We can't promise it'll be on air, but if it's good enough, we'll play it and make a segment out of it. This one comes to us from a listener named Bronwyn. Hey guys, it's Bronwyn, big fan of the podcast. I've been a VCU fan pretty much my whole life because my dad went to VCU, so I grew up watching the games with him and he would take me and my brother to the stew when I was really little. But I really became a big fan and actually following the team when I started at VCU in 2012. Um, I graduated in 2016, which was just such a fun era of VCU basketball. Great game last week. I loved seeing us get a win on the road against LaSalle. I watched this game at Ram's house, that new VCU bar on Broad Street. And I think that place has so much potential and it's just not quite meeting it yet. I was hoping that there would be more fans there to watch the game with, especially with it being one of the first road games of the season. And I was a little disappointed that for a VCU bar, they didn't even have the game sound playing. It was a DJ, which was a strange vibe for 1230 in the afternoon. But I would love to see this place succeed and have Ram fans fill it up for away games or after games at the stew. But I think that this was one of those games where I was going to define whether or not it was good or bad based off of we won or lost just because it was so close the whole time. The first half was very low scoring. And even the second half, I wasn't super confident that we were going to win right up until the last couple minutes. But I'm super happy that we ended up getting that win on the road. One question that I have for y'all is if you have any suggestions on what VCU could do to get these students re-engaged and interested again in the basketball program. It just feels like the student section is not filling out lately and I would love to see them get excited again because that was one of my favorite parts of college. But thanks guys, go Rams. Bronwyn, thank you for the voicemail. Uh, much appreciated, and interesting to hear that about Rams House. We got to get the uh, got to get the audio on there. Yeah, I will be out at Rams House for <clears throat> for three of the road games coming up later this season. So love to get the podcast out there for a watch party. I do think that place has a lot of potential, and I do think VCU is desperate for a spot that Ram fans can call home that's close to the stadium. I- I've felt that way you know, since I was in school. Yeah. Um, well, to answer your question, though, um, I think that obviously getting the students back from winter break is going to help a lot. Uh, and the second cure-all, I think, is you got to win. you got to generate some excitement around the program. Um, you know, when you lose at home in Norfolk State, there's a lot of people that just kind of, you know, kind of give up on it. But I think that uh, – you know, I think the team with the full roster is, is kind of rounding a corner, or at least I hope. And if you go on a win streak, I think more people are going to continue to show up. Bronwyn, appreciate the voicemail. Uh, based off of your uh, your description about going to games with your you know dad growing up, and uh, sounds kind of like how my childhood was. My dad took me to games, and uh, based off your time frame, 2012 to 2016, and you were there for at least three years when I was there. I was there 11 to 15, so we shared similar experiences, uh, including the first three years of the A-10, which were Shaka's last three years, which, as you kind of described, were an incredibly hype time uh, to be part of Ram Nation. Great question, though. Um, I think it's the, the easy, you know, the easy answer, kind of like what Caleb says, is win, is just winning changes everything. I mean, you you look around college basketball, Auburn, for example, is not a basketball school. Bruce Pearl has done a really good job at Auburn in the last few years getting them engaged and they have an incredible home court environment. And you think of you think of football when you think of Auburn. Alabama, there's a lot of SEC schools kind of like that that have great environments and it's cuz they've been started to win and such. Um 
Regarding student involvement, I, I recall my junior year. This would have been the spring, uh, like winter 2014. We had a snow game against GW. Good matchup. GW's an NCAA tournament team that year. So were we. And I, re- I remember Shaka Smart tweeting at like 4 or 5 o'clock that day saying, whatever freshman dorm has the most students to come to the game, I guess they recorded it, he'd buy pizza for the whole, like mm. for like to, to bring to the dorm ne- the next day for lunch. So stuff like that. Um, I remember last year when Coach Rhodes was still here, it was like September, and he was like riding around campus on a golf cart trying to get people engaged to come to games. So I wouldn't mind some engagement from the staff uh, and the players. I know they, I know they got their main job is playing and coaching, but uh, maybe a little more engagement. I like the theme night, like two thousands night on Friday. So stuff like that will be good. It's like, oh, that's a fun little gimmick. Like recruit some random Richmonders to come in. Yeah, I mean, Connor, I agree with you. Uh, I'd like you know some more organic things on campus to try to get fans involved. You know. I remember when we were in school, they did a bit once where, you know, Mo Ali Cox was out there with like a pop a shot and people could shoot against him and, and things like that. I mean, it's all about doing things on campus for the students. But, you know, Chris and I talked about this after one of the games at River City Roll. All that stuff is nice. What it's going to take is a tournament run because that's what happened for us. We all went to school right after the Final Four. And all that excitement lasted for five, six, seven years. We were the student section of the year in 2012. And when you think about it, you know, the kids that are at VCU now in 2011, where were they? They were 18 minus 12, probably six years old. They know nothing about that Final Four run. And so it sucks, but it's going to take March success, I think, to get the place back to the way it was in, you know, early 2010s. Agree with all that. Also... It'll be hype. Hopefully Dayton's still ranked um, like number 21 they are this week. So if we have like if that if it's like, oh, Dayton's ranked number 15 this week, let's people will be talking about that. Hopefully. Hope so, man. I, I make a valid point. I remember when Dayton came here four years ago, the number seven in the nation. It was packed. Uh, Adam, to follow up what you said, and this portrays to Bronwyn's uh, voicemail. Like you said, NCA wins are important. Obviously, the Final Four run changed everything. But I mean, VCU had good crowds in the early 2000s, but beating Duke in 2007. Yeah kind of brought also i'm not gonna say like all vcu fans that's when vcu kind of took over as richmond's team yeah and that was really important the student section was rocking well that's the thing is a big win like that is a sports culture crossover so that's what we need is you're gonna have caleb jones and his crazy dad at every game but are you gonna have caleb's mom right are you going to have uh you know people that they're football fans they don't even watch basketball they're hockey fans but they hear about vcu and they want to come support it yeah it needs to be the main event and that just people want to go to just because hey everyone else is going right i mean that's when you fill in those corner areas of the stew you know yeah i was saying it's kind of like on the squirrels level in richmond it's just like oh yeah there's a free ticket i'll go and it's not like oh my god like i gotta go to the vcu game it's kind of just like a little casual thing to go. It's like, oh, I'll skip this one. Or so oh, it's yeah. rainy. So. And I, I will say, you know, I'm I'm the one that made the point about success, and I believe in that. The Hokies have sold out Virginia Tech football games without success the past 10 years, basically. So they're doing something right there on campus. A little bit of a Not hot, winning. Little, <laughs> a little bit of a hot take here. What about a, uh, a new arena? You know, I, I mean, I thought about because that when I was I at the part, Eagle Bank Arena. I love two sections like that. I mean, you can't really – the students aren't really at fault here because they're right there, but I do think that some people don't like the parking situation. I've heard that. The stew's nice. The upgrades are awesome. The stew looks great, I think. And I personally have of the mind that a 7,500-person arena is better than a 13,000-person yes. arena. But um, There's you know, some wiggle room. We, you could get to eight or nine, I think. Either way, we should still be filling that thing up. Um, so, and 
like Bronwyn said, I think it, it, it comes back to the students because at the end of the day, there's a very loyal uh, local fan base. Um, but what puts it over the top is when there's true student interest. Right. And that's the difficult thing is this is also a business. Like I know the the commanders, Redskins, the Wizards, the Nats have the same issue too where they're focusing on filling up the suites because that's what brings in the most dollar bill for the organization. This is a business. And it's a business. I see that in the row right in front of me. They're corporate seats and they're hardly ever full. Mm-hmm. And it drives me nuts because I want the stew to be full. Right. You know, uh, but it, 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 again, I mean, like whoever this company is, I won't say, but <laughs> they're playing tens of thousands of dollars to have these seats and Tommy J. West access and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I get it that those are the type of, uh, you know, donors and um, that, that Ed and his staff are looking for. Yeah. But you know who makes noise? The 22 year old kid that paid five dollars. for the, a ticket. The, Yeah. That's six butt heavies deep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> What's the thing in like Henrico that might get built? Green City? Yeah. I yeah. like like Villanova used to do like weeknight games on campus. People could just walk and then like the big matchups at they'd the big ha- arena. They'd have they would have games there if, if that ends ends up going through. Fortunately that's in Henrico County, not the city of Richmond, because if it was in the city, then it would never happen, but that's a whole different discussion. I, I'm a yeah. <laughs> I'm a little uh I don't know how I feel about that. I'm on the fence. Yeah, I'm not if I would like the big arena like I for, for the big games. I don't know. I yeah, mean, did you I, not love the Coliseum? Uh, n- no, really. I mean, it was our mess. I, I love <laughs> the Coliseum. Uh, maybe um, it's because all I do, all I this, know, is success in the Coliseum right, yeah, I mean, and storm helps, in the court. Uh, I mean, but, I, I loved it, I guess, but you yeah. know, <laughs> Connor, you didn't, you loved it, didn't you? I love the Coliseum, but yeah. it was, uh, it was a little outdated. So, but <laughs> no, Bronwyn, heck, it was a, a good voicemail, got us a little pumped up. Yeah, not gonna lie, I kind of want to watch a road game there and see how the DJ situation is. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. So, uh, but hey, Bronwyn, really appreciate the voicemail and uh, go Rams. All right, now we hand it off to the stat monster, Caleb Jones. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Let's hand it off to Caleb Jones, the stat monster. At this point in the season, about halfway through, we have a pretty good grasp on our players' skill sets and how Ryan Odom intends to use them. Uh, George Templeton of Rams Rewind uh, character, characterize this team as schizophrenic, which I think is a pretty apt description. Uh, you never know what this team is going to do on a particular night, whether it's play offense well, poorly, defense well, poorly. You just don't know. And Ryan Odom is clearly still tweaking his lineups to find the best rotations. So that got me to thinking, and I was wondering, what is our best lineup? Uh, statistically speaking. So for a little uh, interactive uh, aspect to this segment, I'd like to get y'all's favorite lineups. Uh, You know, if we're playing a a 40-minute game, just who you think our best five would be. Um, So, Awad, let me start with you. I've done the math. Checks out. (laughs) All right, so my top starting five for VCU basketball, I've told it many times on this show before, I just I love – a three-guard lineup. I love a three-guard lineup. I think it gives you the ability to have multiple shooters spot up. I think it works with Ryan Odom's offense of, you know, the dribble handoff and then getting guys downhill. So I am Jason Nelson as the starting point guard here or the the closing point guard here um, in a most important matchup situation at the end of the game. Jason Nelson, the one. Zeb Jackson as my two. Max Scholga as my three. 
the Bear, Sean Barstow at the four, and Toby Lawal at the five. Okay, very good. So I'm going to tell you how efficient that lineup is. All right. And how I'm going to do that. And now I'm is, worried. <laughs> yeah, is via college basketball analytics. Uh, there is an o- offensive rating, which is how many points you would score given 100 possessions, and a defensive rating, which is how many points you concede given 100 possessions. Uh, so the net rating is the offensive rating, simply the offensive rating minus the defensive rating, okay? So that lineup that you mentioned is a plus 44, which is uh, – that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so it's 144.6 offensive rating and 100.6 on defense. So both both of those numbers are pretty solid. And you are, are you able to track how many minutes that, that lineup is getting together? I, I can tell you that. I'd have to go back and look, but mm-hmm. yes. So, Connor, give me your ideal lineup. Zeb, Shulga, Bam, Barstow, Furman. Okay. I, I personally love that lineup. That, <laughs> of course you do. But that has a negative 6.5. Chris, they probably talked about it in their private group chat. No, 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 no. Not no, discussed. No. Not this discussed. Is, <laughs> this is, yeah, all new. So, but yeah, negative 6.5, 117.7 on offense, 124.2 on D. Uh, so that is not a good lineup, statistically speaking. Chris, what is your optimal lineup? Why we're 10 and 7. <laughs> Max Shulga, Joe Bam, Bearstow, Toby, and Big Firm. Professor, very interesting. You get an NA on that one. That never one's not available. That have, has not been we've used. We've never yet. done that lineup combo, which, which is crazy because <laughs> we're basically looking at five factorial. Because I feel like every lineup has been used, and uh, that yeah, that one uh, oddly enough has not. And I think, I think you're going to see it. Really? You're going to see it soon because I think at some point you're going to play Toby well, you're and gonna, Furman. You're going to – well, we've done we've done that lineup before. Remember they did that in the second half against GW. Zach, Zach pointed that out that uh, well, not Henry, the Well, not the full but, five. No, not, but not no, the full five, yeah. No, but the four or five of Toby and Furman right, played together. Right. And now with Zeb Jackson possibly out, you might have Joe Bam uh, run some point duties with, with Max. I mean, uh, it is an interesting lineup. Uh, because you do have a lot of scores on the floor for that. Yeah. Lineup. So uh, I well I disagree because you have Toby and Firm on at the same time. But what were you gonna well, say? the thing is my 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 view on them scoring is you have Joe Bam who can attack, throw an alley oop. You have Barristow who can attack and dump it off. So, you know you have three attacking guys who could then feed the post for an easy dunk or layup. That that's my view okay. on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically my strategy there. Like, all right, we're going to suffer. We won't really be able to stop anyone, but we're going to outscore people, <laughs> get some boards maybe, hey, hopefully yeah. two big guys in there. Paul West has Running yeah. Yeah, okay. Loyola Marymount. They're good at blocks. Go. Yeah. Okay, so my optimal lineup was basically the same as Connor's sub-Toby for Furman. So Zeb, Shulga, Bam, Bearstow, and Toby, which also had a plus 44 rate. Uh, net rating. Oh, so we tied. Yeah, so 144.6 offense, 100.6 on defense, oddly enough. Um, so, you know, good food for thought. But well, do, what, do you actually have the best lineup? That gives I have us, our best lineup. Let me yes. hear it. So That's our, what I'm waiting for. So man. our best lineup, and I'm going to give you two, because I, you know, obviously Bearstow and uh, Bamisil's waiting is not correct because they haven't been on the team the whole season. Right. You know, they've only played six, seven games. So our best lineup is Zeb, Shulga, Fats, Michael Bell, and Furman with a one hundred a ridiculous one hundred and sixty offensive rating, 
Wow. And a ridiculous 69 defensive rating. So I remember that lineup, I believe, got a lot of minutes together against Penn State. Exactly. So is that good is call? That, so is that plus 90 in that case? Because it's one six. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah. uh, I had it written down somewhere, plus 90.8. Because you take 160 and then you said it was 69. You, you, yeah, you simply just subtract. Yep. Yeah, okay, yep. cool. Um, so, anyways, that was our best lineup, statistically speaking. Now, I sorted it for just the last five games. So we had the you know the waiting with the full roster like that right. fair. So then it was Zeb, Max, Fats, Sean Bearstow, and Furman for a plus forty four point nine, a one fifty nine on offense, a one fourteen on D. D is lacking there. The offense is pretty pretty red hot, and I think that that got nuked. The defense got nuked by the first two conference games of this year. Personally, I find it very interesting that the best two lineups. Include Fats Billups. He did not play at Mason and only 11 minutes at LaSalle. To me, he looks like a different person when he's in the game. Uh, it changed after Penn State. He's got a lot more confidence. I'm in for more it's, minutes. It's it's intriguing, you know. I mean, this is just purely by the numbers, and uh, they kind of speak for themselves. Uh, you know, Fats. The issue maybe is though. Should play more. It, the issue is though is that he's been inconsistent on the defensive end. He literally fell on the floor and then was taken out against St. Bonaventure because his man hit a shot. Yeah, or so, G-Dub, yeah. Uh, just to kind of finish that thought up, the um, the next lineup right after that, it, that's when ba- Bamisil makes his debut. It's Zeb, Max, Bamisil, Bearstow, Lawal for that, a plus four. Is that your lineup? It is, yeah. and uh, you know I, I you know I do like that lineup. Um, I yeah, I was gonna say I feel like you three are all big Michael Bell fans, and none of you had him in your start your lineup. I, I was I was really close. I, yeah, to I am too. I just I think you, you lose it. too much it was, it offensively. Was or Michael Bell and I, I love uh, him. Twenty minutes a game. I, I don't think I don't I don't think we need him playing thirty minutes a game. No, but I, I do think like twenty minutes a game. If it's like a Keyshawn Hall situation, final two minutes of the game, you need him. Totally. In. Yeah, I mean, and also you need Furman's. Uh, uh, Size. I mean, he's two twenty-five. Toby's two hundred. You know, you, you got to have that guy. Okay, I've I've thought of this during the week too. All right, stat monster, we're <laughs> we're, we're up to the other team has the ball. We need to stop. Who? What five defenders are you putting out? Uh, like final possession. Final possession. There's oh, like, I like ten this. ten seconds uh, left. Janel. No, I'm not doing that, man. He's, actually, yeah, no. Jameer Brick is going to back him down with his big booty. Well, it depends. Uh, you know, matchup. Contingent. Um, I'm going JNL, Zeb, Michael Bell, uh, Bearstow, Furman. Mm. What about offensive? Anyone? Um, we're down. We're down one with ten seconds left. Connor down one. Ten seconds left. We have the ball. I'll go Zeb, Shulga, Bam, Bearstow. Throw the wall down there for a potential offensive rebound. Yep. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 with I'm that. in that totally too. With yeah, that. Agree. Yeah. All right, so. <clears throat> Um, there's this thing called on-off rating. Uh, so basically it is how one particular player will impact the offensive rating or defensive rating, depending on what you're looking at, uh, with them being on the court. So our on offense best rating is max with a plus 18.6, which is, I mean, that, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, you look at the amount of fouls he's drawn number one in the team. He gets to the free throw line. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so the worst on offense is Michael Bell, which is 23.6. I kind of contribute that to him being uh, a major contributor in, like, rock fight games, like that Mason game. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just more grinded out when he's in there. So I'm not going to say he's a terrible offensive player yet. Um, I, th- I think that part of his game will come. 
On D, our best is Zeb with a minus 7.6. So the opponent is scoring 7.6 less points per 100 possessions with Zeb on the floor. That's an impressive stat. It feels like he's been a much more of a lockdown defender in A-10 conference I mean, he, he, he's always been that. He was last year. Um, I mean, he's, he's athletic, and, you know, that's his mentality. He's going to stop their best, their best guard, and uh, he does a pretty good job of that. Uh, conversely, Janel was our worst at plus 7.2. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into that because I think he's our probably our second best steal guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, you can look at it a few different ways. Um, but, yeah, it's just very interesting to look through some of these lineup personnel decisions and, and where Ryan Odom, you know, what he can lean on is his best lineups. Um, so yeah. no, nobody does it better than you, Stat Monster. All right, Connor, get us set for Fry Ten. Freight? What do you call it? Friday eight. Well, hold on, hold on. I think Con- Connor's got one more stat to throw. One in more there. stat before we go to Friday Ten. Uh, oh, I got two more fun stats after. Okay, that. real quick. Seriously. I got three. <laughs> L- listening, listening to the Eye on College Basketball podcast. I don't know if you guys ever listened to that. Matt Norlander and Greg Parish, or Gary Parish, excuse me, through uh, CBS, CBS. Matt Norlander is one of the best uh, talking heads in the biz. Uh, Okay, so Houston lost two road games last week. Houston previously had a record of 12 straight true away wins going back to March 6th of 2022. They had won 12 straight true road games. Do you know who has the longest active road win streak right now? It's going to be us. It's a 10, right? Yeah, uh, when when was the last time we lost a true road game? It was... Because it is 10. We didn't um, play any this year. It was Temple. It was Duquesne. We, oh, right. The very yeah, first yeah, 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 game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we... A-10 season last year, right. we opened against LaSalle at home 1-0, lost at Duquesne 1-1. We f- After that loss, we finished 15-3. and Our two losses after Duquesne were home bottom at your home Dayton. So that's eight wins to end the season, and then we just won at Mason and LaSalle. We have the longest active streak of true road wins at 10. It's over a calendar year. So I just wanted to throw that yeah, out there. Yeah, I mean, it's only two to start this <laughs> season, but it's but seriously, it's, it's yeah. awesome to see yeah. the program continue that trend. So hopefully it keeps up. Um, there's two really quick, interesting stats I thought that I was going to point out. 2K after starting the season, 0 for 16, is now 38.9% from three. That is ridiculous to pull your average up that quickly to almost 40% from three. Yeah. I mean, I mean it reminds like, me of David Shriver last year, though, it's, right? It's similar. It, it is. A little less smaller usage, but still, yeah. a, still a comparable stat in terms of how well he's hitting an 8 play. I don't think right. we went at LaSalle with him going, without him going three. No, uh, huge shots. Yeah. Two huge threes on the stretch. One of them looked like a foul, too. And then the last thing, we're in the bottom fourth percentile in the country in charges drawn per 40 minutes. We average a half of a charge per game. So basically, we're getting a charge every other game. That's not good. Do you it's think, just do you interesting. Think, do you think part of that is maybe teams are scared because our big men will block shots? So you know they're staying around the outside. I, yeah, I think that's a, definitely a big part of it. Because Toby blocks everything. Yeah, I think it's the way we probably. Yeah, we probably are switching tendencies on defense. Um, you know, we run guys off instead of letting them, you know, get all the way to the hole, and then we're there to take the charge. So yeah, it's a uh, just interesting stats, baby. Okay, so Friday 10, this Friday against St. Louis. So that'll be uh, two games from now. St. Louis comes in. They're 7-9 and nine in D1 games. Their record says 8-9. One of those wins isn't against a non-D1 team. Does not count in my books. But 7-9 and nine in D1 games, 1-3 and three in A-10 play. Uh, home loss to Loyola, away loss at Mason, home win against St. Joe's last week, and then a home loss to Dayton last night. As we re- record this pod on Wednesday, they lost at Dayton last night. They oddly, for a team that's, I mean, any anyone who goes on Twitter, it's been turmoil this whole year in, in, uh, in St. Louis. It's been, there's been... 
Travis Ford's son having a burner Twitter account arguing with fans. It's been objectively hilarious. Oh, absolutely hilarious. Didn't and Travis Ford try to block a shot last night? Uh, yeah, uh, that was yeah, kind of yeah. that was kind of well, that, that he was, was like the, coming out of shooter. Yeah, right? that was like the only that was like the only three uh, a point guard for um, Dayton, the transfer from Mary Mac um, Bennett. That was the uh, only three. Yeah. The only three he made last night. Apparently, it was the one where Ford almost like defended. Him. That was like shock of that one yeah. game, like slide. But um, <laughs> so um, I should mention mention this beginning. I was on midnight the Midtown Madness podcast. Uh, Zach and Peter they do great work for St. Louis. I was on their pod on Sunday night, and we kind of chatted a little bit. Um, and they're kind of miserable right now like a lot of st louis fans but um st louis has two top top 100 ken palm wins beat louisiana tech at home 96 beat st joe's who's 83rd at home so i want to point out with st louis number 93 in the nation in ken palm offense good that's good percentage i mean it's good rating number 93 in the nation number 31 in the nation in three-point shooting percentage at 37.7 percent total overall uh in a10 play they're sixth out of 15 in offensive efficiency uh and effective field goal percentage third out of 15th uh, 15 teams in offensive rebound rate and fourth in three-point shooting, shooting an even 40%. Gibson Jimerson is shooting 15 of 37 This uh, in A-10 play, 40% in, in, in A-10 from three in A-10 games. Overall this season, he's shooting 38.8%. Um, bad stuff for SLU. Their defense is bad. I mean, when I mean bad, it's strange because the when Travis Ford first kind of took over, they had dogs. They had good guys, <clears throat> good players. Uh, Jordan Goodwin playing playing for the Phoenix Suns, I believe, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're dead last in the A10 in defensive efficiency, defensive turnover percentage, defensive non-steal turnover percentage, and free throw attempts per field goal attempts. So they they, they like right now a lot of, like Dayton last night. The free throws was it twenty seven to seven? I want to say they're giving the opponents are getting a lot of free throws, which means they foul a lot. So that's a bad rating. They're ranked three eleven in the nation in defensive efficiency, two eighty eight in effective field goal percentage defense wise, three thirty two in defensive turnover rate. Uh, moral of the story: I, I got two big points to make. Do not do what St. Joe's did last Wednesday, where they just played a two-three zone randomly, and Gibson Jimerson went unconscious. Zero reason to do that. Gibson Jimerson could shoot. We know that he's a good scoring basketball player. If we leave him open, he's going to hit threes. That's how it works. That's that's my biggest number one point. My second point: if VCU has more than ten turnovers, I will be angry on our next pod. Because if you heard me, I said St. Lu- St. Louis is three thirty in the nation, three thirty-two, excuse me, in the nation in defensive turnover percentage, and three forty-five in the nation in non-steal turnover percentage. If ECU has more than 10 turnovers, that means we're being careless because St. Louis is not turning teams over. So you heard it now. If we have more than 10 turnovers, I'm not going to be happy next week. <laughs> yeah, they personnel-wise, they do not get after you on the ball. Um, I think that their guards are a little too big, and they're not quite the fastest. I mean, uh, yeah, you cannot turn the ball over against these guys because they're not looking for it. Yeah, my scouting report on St. Louis, Larry Hughes the second. Love his dad, Larry Hughes, from his time with the Washington Wizards. So hopefully he's in the building at the Seager Center. Seagull Center. I doubt it, though. Uh, Gibson <laughs> Jimerson, I kind of hate this guy, uh, mostly because I didn't think he could keep up this three-point percentage with how quick he releases his shot. It's like Steph Curry quick. quick. It's he crazy, just kind of yeah. throws it up with decent form and some backspin, and it goes in. But the X factor I think VCU has to look out for is Terrence Hargrove Jr., this guy is a hustle guy. He'll dive on the floor. He can attack the basket, finish around bigs. He can hit a decent mid-range shot. That's the X factor I think the Rams have to look out for. He's averaging 11 points per game. Hold him below that. Yeah. Uh, Terrence Hargrove is definitely their their glue guy, and he can do a lot of little things, and he actually shoots a three ball pretty well. Um, I mean, shoot, he's at 42% right now in conference. But um, you, for me, Jimerson is the guy. You circle him, and you do not let him get out of your sight ever. Um, watching that Dayton game last night, they every time they ran a baseline out of bounds play, 
it went to him, and they were successful, I think, three out of five times. With what, getting a shot attempt? Not even an attempt, and a make. Oh, wow. Um, and, like, that's all they look for. It's just a very simple, he sets a screen, then they set a pin-down screen on, on Jemerson. He rolls to the perimeter and takes a shot. And, like you said, he can get it off very quickly. But, I mean, he he's not really a guy that's going to attack the basket. So, just, uh, you know, be on him on the perimeter. If he goes by you, then so be it. Uh, one other point to make, Sincere Parker got hurt. I think it was the Myrtle Beach. They, they were at Myrtle Beach because yeah, Dayton was in Charleston. They were the Myrtle Beach tournament before Thanksgiving. He got hurt that game. He came back two games ago against St. Joseph. He's a solid player. Uh, so Sincere Parker's back healthy. Played played a fair amount of minutes last night against Dayton, so watch over him. Uh, you have Brad Isawero. Is He's the Georgetown transfer, right? They, they, uh, they, yeah, they, mm-hmm. yeah, good, he is. Good game last he, night. He he, he was he's um, thick. yeah, he, he he's solid. He's he kind of reminds me of Chad Venning a lot. Mm. But he big came big. from the same situation that Bamisil came <clears throat> from. He had he was part of that whole uh, lawsuit where he got uh, sudden eligibility. So yeah, he's a big dude. Bottom line, St. Louis, we they're having a kind of a miserable season. But heck, they have a top hundred offense and they shoot the ball well. Don't I would rather put it this way? They they are a bad defensive team. Like I mentioned already, I would rather us have a game similar to the GW game where we're scoring and the opponent scoring a little bit than a rock fight. Because if we play a rock fight against this team, that means we're not scoring against a really bad defense, and I will be frustrated and I will be angry. Yeah, no, no, you're right about that. I'm I'm going to be annoyed anytime I see Jamerson hit a shot. So hopefully that doesn't happen much. Uh, but then the Rams will play on Tuesday, another home game against Loyola Chicago. What you know about that team, Connor? So Loyola is ten and six overall in D one games, three and one in the A ten. Uh, road win at SLU, home win against Duquesne, home uh, lost to Richmond, and a road win at St. Joe's. Keep in mind, as we record this pod on Wednesday the seventeenth, they play they host UMass tonight. Who Matt Cross is out for UMass, so that's a favorable matchup. ankle and tooth. Yeah, that was a weird report. That was a different discussion. And <laughs> that's what they listed on yeah. the injury report. And then Saturday the twentieth, they go to Fordham. So by the time we play them next week, they'll have played two more games um, in the A ten. Big thing, Loyola's kind of been an impressive team. And this is a big season for a, uh, for a Drew Valentine. You know, that two years ago, he took over Porter Moser. Uh, this has been there in the Missouri Valley, 10 seed uh, in the tournament, or 10 seed in the NCAAs. Um, I think they had the automatic bid, but still, it was an at-large worthy season. Last year, first first year in the A-10, awful, uh, straight up. So, uh, but anyways, Loyola comes here next Tuesday. Uh, opposite of SLU. They're not the best offense. They are good defense. Number 47 in the nation in Ken Palm defense. They are number one in defense on Ken Palm and A-10 play, both just overall defense and defensive efficiency. Um, so that, that's something to keep in mind. They also have the number one tempo right now in, in A-10 play, so they're playing pretty fast. On the bad side, they are dead last in the A-10 in offensive turnover percentage, and they're ranked 278 in the nation in offensive turnover percentage. So I just mentioned I'll be angry if we – have more tur- more than 10 turnovers against St. Louis. I'll also be angry if Loyola doesn't have at least 10 or 10 turnovers mm-hmm. in this game because they are they are turning the ball over so much and it's it's so strange cuz they're uh their offensive uh putting the ball in the hoops okay. It's weird. Their effective field goal percentage, they're 91st in the nation in effective field goal percentage, but 227 in adjusted offensive adjusted efficiency. That means you have a bad turnover rate. We had the same issue last year. We were top 100 in offensive efficient uh, offensive efficiency just in terms of just scoring the basketball. We turned the ball over too much. So my moral of the story is SLU or VCU, no more than 10 tur- it has to be single-digit turnovers. Loyola has to have double-digit turnovers or else we are not playing to the strengths and weaknesses of our opponent. Yep. Uh, by the numbers also, I think that they have a, a freshman name. I think his last name's Ruben, who's kind of like Toby's size. He's a pretty yeah. athletic yeah. dude. But they're 
offensive rebounding percentage per Kim Palm is uh, second to last in the conference. So they're giving up a ton of offensive rebounds. Um, and their free throw rate is really bad. So, um, you know, if if you get beat on offense, maybe hack them. But also <laughs> hit, hit, hit the glass on off- on when we're on offense uh, because I think there'll be some some extra possessions out there for us. Connor, did you already mention Dez Watson, leading scorer, 15.5 points per game? He's the transfer from Davidson. Yes, yeah. Very yep. athletic guy. I think you got to force him to shoot the outside shot. I get it. He's 11 of 22 in conference play, 50% from three. But I think he burns you more going to the basket, finishing around the rim. I believe Braden Norris had a good game against VCU last year. Do you remember Fifth, that? Fifth-year senior. Yeah, yeah. He, he played pretty well. That was that was a very weird game against him. Weren't we down eight at half, and then we came back and ended that was, up winning by That eight. was the week before we played Dayton. It was in January. It was before, without students, and that was the game where Jameer Watkins, like, they decided he wasn't going to start that night, and Kern started, and then Kern started the rest of the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, it, there was no students because they have they had pretty good crowds the rest of the year. Uh, one guy I will highlight, um, I've discussed this in um, our personal text message chain, just me and Caleb. Philip Austin is my like favorite non VCU A ten player. That dude is a hoss. He looks like he should be playing football. Yeah, a I mean, ju- he, JUCO guy. He, he's been their leading scorer throughout the season. He's kind of started off A ten play a little slow. Um, I don't know if that's due to foul trouble or what, because I feel like. At least at the end of the Richmond game in crunch time, you'd think you have your best player out there, and he was nowhere to be seen. That was strange. And he did not foul out. I didn't get that. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that Drew Valentine is kind of figuring out the rotation of these guys a little bit. And it's very interesting to see the jump that Des Watson has made uh, because he's shooting uh, the three ball very well in the season, over 40%, and that was not part of his repertoire at Davidson. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this team's pretty balanced. That's certainly not one to take lightly, but very beatable. So overall, you guys heard what I said. Um, turnovers are the key in our ne- in this little little two game homestand at the Seagull Center. Extra yeah. possessions. I'm actually more impressed with their loss than their wins in a ten play. Losing to Richmond fifty eight fifty six. I they, mean, we see how good the Spiders can be. They um they should have had a, a three point buzzer beater look at the end of that. Uh, this guy made a whip pass and just barely stepped out of bounds. Actually, you couldn't even see it with the camera angle, but they didn't have enough angles in the broadcast to. To determine to overturn the call, um, but yeah, I've, I, I, they've started off well. Is Drew Valentine's brother Denzel Valentine? Yes. yes. Interesting. Interesting. All right, now we hand it off to Connor Bailey for this week in VCU history. This week in VCU basketball history. Every episode, Connor will break down a memorable game in VCU basketball history that took place during this week in time. January 16th, 2016. So this week, eight years ago, it was Will Wade's first season as head coach at VCU. Uh, early in A-10 play, VCU had, uh, went 8-5 and five in the non-con and started A-10 play 4-0. Uh, Richmond, who our opponent is in this game, went 8-4 and four in the non-con, started off A-10 play 2-2, two two, kind of mediocre. And Richmond was still mad at VCU because the year before, 2014-15, they swept us in the regular season, and then we beat them in the, in the uh, quarterfinals, the 4-5 matchup before we ended up winning the 8-10 tournament. Richmond that year, 2015, was an NIT one seed, uh, which means they were in the first, they were the first one of the first four teams out, which means they were really close to making the tournament, and we kind of killed that. But uh, hey, it's all good though. But um, so this was a Saturday game, and that week, uh, earlier that week, we hosted Fordham that Wednesday, and I actually got in a fender bender right in front of Sidewalk Cafe on Main Street. I got rear-ended, and I had whiplash for like about a week and a half. So I went to this game, and I, it was one of those where I had to like move my whole body to like 
<laughs> to like to kind of rotate and stuff. I went with my brother, but uh, hey, it is what it is, man. But um, uh, just of course that's a total Connor stat. Just remembering that. Uh, but fun game, man. Uh, game featured twenty lead changes and eleven ties. Uh, our friend Mr. Chill is ne- does not have this video on YouTube, so I've only been to watch brief highlights. I don't have everything play by play on the stretch. It's gonna be kind of a brief description. But um, uh, Richmond led by uh, nine in the first half on two different occasions. But VCU kind of fought their way back in the first half. Jaquan Lewis had a long three at the bu- or right before halftime to take a 39-37 lead into the half. Uh, VCU led by four at one point in the second half, forty-one to thirty-seven. Other than that, they never led by more than four. Uh, U of R led by four on three different occasions. So. I mean, it, it was between four points the whole second half, but on three different occasions, including when Chandra Jones uh, scored with two, 229 left to take 81-77 lead. Uh, so, a minute and 40 to go, Jaquan makes a layup to cut the lead to 81-79. VCU calls a timeout to set up their defense. Do you guys remember what happened late in this game? Is this the game that possibly I was at diversity thrift and missed the game? No, that was when um, Darren Brothers hit a three to tie it in overtime in 2013. <laughs> I gotcha. That. Yeah, I was there. That stuff. I was there for that one. Uh, Chris Mooney... So after a timeout, VCU calls a timeout, up 81-79, to go. Chris Mooney sent six U of R guys onto the court. And I remember sitting there, and I heard there's a whistle, and Mike and I, Big Mike's yelling, six guys, six guys. So six guys are on the court while the while the play is about to be uh, called, and the officials see it. So they call, you know, it's, it's a one, it was a one-shot technical. Melvin Johnson hits a free throw to cut it 81-80. It's a huge play to get one point there, because I'll explain why. Uh, next possession, Trey Davis gets fouled, hits a couple free throws, takes 83-80 lead. Uh, VCU gets the ball back. Jaquan Lewis gets fouled. It's two free throws. A minute to go. It's 83-82. Uh, next possession, Trey Davis gets fouled again. Makes one of two. So with 51 seconds left, U of R leads 84-82. VCU has the ball. Milks the clock or kind of works the offense. Melvin Johnson finds Justin Tillman for a dunk with 35 seconds left. Ties the game 84-all. We tied this game. We should be down one, but Chris Mooney and staff made a goof, and they gave it to us. Uh, Chandra Jones tries a, a jumper at the buzzer, misses it. Johnny Williams kind of throws up a desperation shot. We go to overtime. Uh, kind of trade baskets a little bit. Melvin hits two free throws left with, two, with 205 left to take a 90 to 89 lead. Um, and, and no one scores for about a minute and a half. Terry Allen misses a bunny jumper uh, with about fi- uh, five seconds to go. Melvin gets the rebound. We're up one with three seconds left. He, he Then he gets fouled, takes two free throws, 92 89 with three seconds left. We're up three with three seconds left in overtime. Do you guys remember what happens now? Mo steals the ball at half court, takes one dribble, and just hammers one home. Maybe one dribble. I mean, it was like just just pet, like he was like hulking down, you know, just comes down there, jams it, looks at the crowd. Will Wade, def- I'm pretty sure Mooney stiffed Will Wade in the handshake and that happened. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, VCU fans, I'm kind of up in the corner with VCU fans. It's hype as hell. Mo Alley Cox is – he's out there like a free safety, just picking the pass off. Fun. Went to the Robin Center. They were pissed. Trivia question. Do you guys know Will Ra- Will Wade's record against U of R? Undefeated. Yep, 5-0. and He went 2-0 and in 2015-16, um, then swept him in 16-17, and then beat him uh, beat him in the A-10 tournament in Pittsburgh. So 5-0. For, for as weird of a guy as Will Wade was, he did some good stuff here. Some great coach, that's for great sure. coach. So fun win at the Robin Center, and, uh, you know, just, you know, they're our little brother, just like George Mason. <laughs> I thought of that last week. You're my, cool. Big Mike's little brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, who do you guys think was the leading scorer in this game? Melvin Johnson, Jaquan. Uh, Melvin Johnson was third with yeah third with seventeen points, five free throws. Uh, Jaquan had twenty nine points, eight to eight from the foul line, three or four from three. Um, so Melvin Johnson was third. Who do you think was second? Tillman. Uh, Tillman off the bench. He just had six points, had six, 11 rebounds though. Mo. Mo was fourth, twelve points, uh, six rebounds, five blocks. Johnny. Uh, Johnny off the bench, uh, 14, 14 minutes, no points. It's got to be someone weird like uh, Doug Brooks. Hamdi. Doug Brooks played 17 minutes, scored four points. Hamdi played 10 minutes, scored two points. Uh, Samir. 
Uh, he's not there yet. Uh, There's two guys that played in this game that you have not mentioned. They both started too. Burgess. Uh, Burgess actually uh, in the highlights I've seen he had a he had something on his wrist. I think he missed this game. He had like a Damn. injury. It's not Terry Larry. He's gone. There's uh, Johnny Williams. <laughs> no, no, said him. Um, it's not Doug Brooks. Already said Doug. Yeah. What about the the white dude that played for us a little Sean Mobley? Not there. He's not there yet. Someone said Terry Larry. No, uh, one of them is a grad. One of them is a grad yeah. transfer. Terrence uh, Shannon. Terrence Shannon. He's not there. He, that was like two years before that. Grad transfer. He was a dog. I mean, a complete dog. Uh, oh, Corey Bilberry. Corey Bilberry had, oh, was second yeah. on the team with 20 <laughs> points and uh, four, Dude, I barely remember him. Eight That's rebounds. Uh, fun fact you about Corey Bilberry. And the last guy was Michael Gilmore, by the way. Uh, Corey Bilberry. Before I saw him off here, Corey Bilberry. Uh, do you guys know the Ram Nation poster? He not as much anymore, but his name's World Be Free. No. He's a really, fun, really funny well, poster. Um, I, met, I know the basketball player. Yeah, yeah, that's his name on Ram Nation. I met him at the grill, um, kind of a, we're, we kind of have a mutual friend and stuff, and it, it was this game. Do you remember Marshall Wood at Richmond? He was the t- Virginia Tech transfer. He was a yeah, str- yeah. string bean shooter. Uh-huh. Kind of soft, wasn't that, good, wasn't that good of a player. Yeah. He could shoot threes, that was it. Yeah. And I remember World Be Free, the Ram Nation account, told me that Marshall, he was sitting courtside, and Marshall Wood kind of like pushed Billberry or something, and Billberry called him a female dog, uh, behind female body part. If you guys catch that lingo right there, he <laughs> just like called him straight to his face. And yeah. he was like, all right, I like this guy. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, big one at the Robin Center. Uh, it was the first year out of school. And um, I had whiplash, but I could just, I could kind of rotate <laughs> it a little bit. And uh, Mo had the walk off uh, pick six dunk. I love that. Any good Mo story is a good story for me. All right, now it's time for AWOD's Energy. <laughs> It's time for AWOD's Energy. What about VCU Hoops has AWOD pumped up for this week? You guys know I'm a big video game player. Love FIFA. Always have time for Madden. But there's nothing like backyard hoops on 2K. My energy is for 2K Quani Quani. Three for three against LaSalle. I said earlier, we do not win that game without Kwani. Some people in this room gave up on Kwani Kwani. Some people in this room didn't want him in the starting lineup. Give me more 2K. Give me more. I love what he brings to the table. And now it feels like we're seeing this guy. I think that move to the bench one game sparked something in him where he's been more aggressive. He's shooting when he's open. He's had the green light all year long. But we're seeing him get more layups, more dunks, uh, more blocked shots. I, I love that you know Coach Odom can rely on him when Furman's in foul trouble or LaWall. He's been our third center. You don't need Roosevelt Wheeler when you got 2K, positional flexibility. That's what my energy's about. I love him, and he's a great kid. Anytime you hear him speak, you're, you're like, my goodness, I want to call my mom and tell him to raise me like 2K was raised. Yeah, I love it, Adam. And he se- like you said, he seems like an awesome guy. And for me, it's all about confidence. That's where it started with him. And once he got it rolling a little bit, now you're seeing – the, uh, the fruits of that. So uh, just happy for him and hope he can keep it rolling. Uh, you mentioned uh, 2K and hearing him talk and stuff. I, I listened to, I watched the LaSalle game with Chris on Saturday and I, I was driving home and listening to the post game. And, uh, you know, 2K is uh, Sudanese. His parents are, I think both his parents are from the Sudan. Grew up in Australia. Yes. And then didn't he have a stop in England at some point too? I feel like he, if it, maybe I'm wrong there. But anyways, honestly, I, I, I was expecting like an accent at some point, and I just kind of caught me off guard. You just kind of sounds like it kind of sounds like American. Yeah, you just, just kind of off guard being someone that is not from here. Um, so it was cool. Uh, but it, uh, he's so soft spoken, man. He, uh, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's 
he has an undergraduate degree from Cal Berkeley. Like, right. I mean, let's face it, like smart kid. Yeah, you, we're uh, we got some B students up in here. <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't, I, think, I got denied from JMU. <laughs> yeah, like two K, two K is a good student, and um, heck, hey, you know, shoot or shoot. Um, we saw you mentioned AY mentioned Shriver earlier. You know, at conference towards the end of conference play. 2K kind of got rolling, just like Schreiber last year against Northern Illinois at like five threes in December. Um, but, you know, shoot or shoot. And uh, he has experience. He played at a P5 school. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited for 2K, man. And I, I like that he's your energy for the week. You're listening to the Black Gold Fan Podcast. And each week we all get our own segment. Caleb is the stat monster. Connor takes you through VCU history. You just heard AWOD's energy. Now it's time for the professor, Chris Mason. Time's up, and the professor has arrived at classes with grades in hand. We're going to have recess all the time. How rowdy was the stew last night? Here to grade the crowd's performance, it's Chris Mason, crowd rating. All right, no home games, and we already touched on the crowd with Bronwyn's great voicemail, so... Good idea by Connor. We're going to do a universal hot take segment. We'll whip around the room and I'll provide, all of us provide one VCU hot take. So mine is um, about Joe Bam. So fast, or sorry, not fast forward, rewind like a month ago. We were all freaking out. Oh my God, he's back. We didn't think we'd get him. Then it's um, Temple. He goes off his first game. We're like, this guy's the best. And then is on a little bit of a cold streak, and I feel like because he's playing yet less, he's um, he like feels like he has to come back. He has to like jack up shots because he's like this might be my only chance. He doesn't know how many minutes his minutes are fluctuating. So I'm doing free Joe Bam 2.0, put him back in the starting lineup. Ooh. I want more Joe Bam minutes. He's our. We're gonna have to be an offensive <laughs> team. Let's. Um, I don't know who I'm taking out, but. Um, that's my t- hot take, Connor. You can go next. We'll discuss. We'll dive into further depth after we whip around. So <laughs> appreciate your, for, for your hot take. I have a take, and it involves Joe Bam. Um, this is something that uh, spoiler alert, <clears throat> Caleb and I have texted about. Um, to no one's surprise, I, I don't think Joe Bam and Fats play well together, and the reason why is I think they have similar game. Um, so I think our coaching staff needs to whoever's the if someone's a hot hand between the two of them, they just need to ride one of them. Let them play like twenty five minutes a game. I don't, you know, if 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 Bam's not hitting shots, it is what it is. Maybe try Fats out, but one of those two needs to have twenty five minutes a game, and I don't think it needs to happen every single game. Uh, I, I can kind of dive in a little more in a second on, on my reasoning, but one of Fam and if Bam and Fats don't play, if one of the other, if one of one of them does not play twenty five minutes a game, I think it's a recipe for a loss. Yeah, I uh, obviously we were texting about that, and I agree, and. Um... Chris, what you were saying, I think that um, you know Joe Bam is essential for this team's offense going forward. Uh, my hot take is ten and ten. We're gonna get ten points from Furman and Toby for the rest of the season. Both of them averaging ten points. Oh, hey, what? I love all these hot takes. I totally agree with you about Joe Bam. Uh, I think he comes in and he feels like I gotta shoot. I'm here to score. Right, I, I'm I'm the veteran guy. I can bring that to the table. Scoring off the bench, I got to right? be. Right, and yeah. I love when he shoots within the flow of the offense. Like there's times where they call plays. He runs around a screen, catch and shoot. I love that. It's the off the dribble threes that sometimes I'm not obsessed with, and especially uh, in transition, him pulling up for three. That feels like a heat check. Uh, we don't need that, but I do think um, he does deserve more minutes. My hot take is less Max Sholga for more Fats Billups. I just think that Fats is starting to develop, and we need him on the court. And I get it. If he makes a, a mistake, 
You know, you're going to yank him immediately. Sometimes it feels like Max makes some mistakes and they leave him on the court because they know how good he can be offensively. Well, I know that Fats has some potential offensively if he can get some more minutes. So, look, Shulga's averaging 32.9, 33 minutes a game. I'd knock that down to 31. Just two less minutes so that Fats can get more. It's a hot take. I mean, two minutes isn't a huge difference, but I agree. I mean, I think you got to find a way for Fats to get out on the floor a little more. But also kind of tying that to what Connor said, identifying the hot hand uh, between Bam and Fats is is important because I do think they're very similar players. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's difficult to pull, particularly a scorer, to pull them quick because sometimes it might take a little bit to get in the flow of the game, especially coming off the bench. Um, but, you know, that's why it's so important for Ryan Odom to know his guys and know, know who's on that night. Don't like Awad's hot take. He's our leading scorer, 15 points a game. He shoots 88 free throws, 38% three, rebounds four a game. And I would, I would and, argue and, and he also, might be even better if he was two minutes more fresh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that. that's fair. Yeah. Um, but also, like we're, I was saying earlier, with his on-the-court offensive rating, we're a plus 18.6. With him, I like, I like what, are we, what are we with Fats though? Because he was in all of the best lineups. Um, it was like it was plus seven. I want to okay. say, Chris, um, who would you take out if you if you put if you put in Bam? If you want to put in Bam, I hear you. Yeah, who are you taking out of the starting I t- lineup? I took out Zev in my lineup before. I'll stick he's with that. So good defensively. I, 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 Do you I, think I, he's all eight ten defense or he's not that good? No, well, but I, we I need know a point guard. We, you know. It is fixed. They will not award Shulga. us. It is fixed. They will never award VCU all eight ten defense. It, obviously, Ace won the. So if it wasn't rigged, do you think he's, have, it's, do you think he's that good? He doesn't have gaudy defensive statistics, but I think that I mean he's taken on the best guard every yeah. night yeah. for us. Yeah, and that, that's worth something in my opinion. Do you, he's not like Ace level defense. Would you say no? No, no Ace. Um, he's not I think, like I think he can be. It just but like right, would you say he's, he's not like Briante or eight? It's like a step below. No, he's no. still really good though. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I don't deals. think he. I don't know if what the word term is. I don't know if he locks in every possession like Briante did. Like he had that great pickpocket and score against Mason. I don't think he had that again the rest of the game. And I think he has the capabilities to do it three or four times. I mean, look at our, our steal rates in the bottom quarter good. of quarter of the country. He's just not taking chances on getting steals like the Briantes and the Darius Theus. Part of that's that. probably because he he knows he's the captain. And you can't get burnt, and then your guy goes and scores. Exactly. I, mean, I, I think yeah. Zeb has changed his game to meet this captain's mentality. I really do. But he could be the defense energy off the bench, like Briante, and have Joe Bam. Oh, yeah, the other thing I was going to say is, like, versus George Mason and LaSalle. Um, let me find it. It was – we got to double digits so late. Like, it was, like, nine minutes into the game and then, like, seven minutes into the game. So, we're, like, starting slow offensively the last two games. So, that's why I want Joe Bam in there. This I is, love Bam off the bench. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just a quick amendment to mine. I'm going eight and eight. I know I said ten and ten. Oh. I don't – having – Shoot high, have, Having, like, five or six guys in double figures just doesn't seem uh, sustainable. <laughs> but I think that you just with both of them – they're they're playing so much better offensively, especially Furman in in the paint. And Toby just runs so many pick and rolls, and he gets offensive rebounds and stuff like that. I think it's totally plausible that each of them average eight points a game the rest of the season. All right, now it's time for final thoughts. Know your role and shut your mouth. I'll get us started here. And look, after these last two games against George Mason and GW, most of you know I, I grew up in Fairfax Station. I know both those schools very well. I do believe 
that the A-10 is in good hands with those two coaches, with Caputo at GW and Tony Skin at Mason. Tony Skin showed me a lot um, just early this season, his ability to recruit a couple really good guys. I mean, their three leading scorers are transfers. Keyshawn Hall seems like he could be uh, second-team All-A-10. And then Caputo, man, I mean, the GW is off to an unbelievable stop start. He's done a great job in the transfer portal. And I love the way he walks up and down the sidelines. I didn't get to mention it after the GW game, but I like his style. Four assistant coaches on GW are all bald, just like Chris Caputo. It is a bald man's roster. I was going to say, there's a lot of clones on that <laughs> on, on that bench. Uh, I mean, one of the assistants looks like his brother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, my opinion... I think that George Mason's kind of going to get... For, are you responding to mine, or are you coming out with your own final thought? No, I'm responding to yours. Okay. I think George Mason's going to get back uh, to winning here. I think that's a pretty good team. Uh, as for George Washington, I think you're going to see the opposite. I think they're going to start losing some games here. they got a tough schedule coming up. Um, and I, I do think Caputo's a good coach. Uh, and I think that George Washington might finish in the top half of the league. Actually, they, sh- they should and probably will. Um, but I'm not totally sold on them. Yeah, and and Connor said in, in our text thread, look, I'm high on both those teams, but they also finished five and six last year, so it's not mid. like they're yeah. going to be much improved. They're mid. Yeah. All right, Caleb. Um, Go um, your roll and um, shut your mouth. Final thought, Joe Bam just gets rolling. Joe Bam gets going offensively. I agree. And we need it. Turnover margin. Go your roll and <laughs> shut your mouth. Turnover margin in the next two games will decide whether we're four and two, three and three, or two and four. Honestly, I think I think it'll be four and two or two and four. And it's no, all turnover margin. And shut your mouth. I have two. Um, I need Caleb and Connor. If the NA professor lineup ever comes on the court, you need to stand up and make yes, eye contact with I me. I will. <laughs> I, I like that. Second, I, I assure you. <laughs> second thing, um, me and. Awad, we're old fashioned. We hang out in person. We don't have to text for two hours every night. <laughs> <Very true. laughs> yeah, no, no. Chris and I wanted to bring up the fact that we've hung out after four or five games this year post game. You guys always seem to hang out pre game. You guys are the pre game guys. We're the post game guys. I'm, Who do you want to hang out with more? Probably the post game guys. I'm hanging out post game on Friday night. I, I promise I, you. I seriously doubt I it. Promise the, you. the press conference will end at like ten, and we'll see where you're Skip at. Skip the right. press conference. <laughs> we're the pre game. Yeah, we're the pre game guys. We can't hang out too late anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what happens when you get it's married. Called getting married. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is, Chris. We just realized it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There so if go. you're listening to the pod and you want to hang out after the game, don't get married. <laughs> The Black and Gold Fan Podcast is proud to be presented by River City Roll. That's where you can catch us after the game on Friday night. And don't call River City Roll a bowling alley. It is Richmond's top entertainment scene with live music, chef-inspired menu, the pizza's banging, heated outdoor patio, and more. I mean, we're talking live entertainment Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for brunch. Check it out. And if you go there during a football game, you'll get a $10 pitcher of River City Roll beer. Just tell them. The boys from the Black and Gold Podcast sent you. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back next week with Season 2, Episode 11.